Well, if you would join me still standing for the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy 2 will be our main verse this morning. It says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, as we dive into 2 Timothy 2 2, Father, I pray, God, you would equip our hearts to listen, uh, mind to teach. Father, what I am not, make me. What I have not, give me. What I know not, teach me. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if this is your first Sunday, I'm not Cody. Um, but I, I'm glad that you were here. Uh, my name is Ryan Edwards. I am here in view of a call uh, to be your family pastor here at Iron City. And I'm super grateful for this opportunity. My wife is sitting right here on the front row. And I believe there's a picture uh, that may come up of the two of us. And so um, my mom told me whenever I was in the dating phase of my life, she said, whenever you find somebody, make sure she likes me because I'm your mama, right? And, <laughs> and I think my mom's forgotten about me and is more excited about her. And so, and that's perfectly fine. We are anxiously awaiting the birth of our first son. He's due in January. And so his name will be Colt Ryan Edwards. And so we're super excited about that. We got married January 6th of this year. And then this coming January, um, Lord willing, we'll have our baby boy with us. And we're super excited about that and, and all the things that God is doing in our life. So a little bit about me. In my free time, I love to play golf. Uh, I told Cody on the fun fact thing, I was like, I don't really know what my um, you know, secret talent would be, but, you know, once you hit a hole in one, you kind of want to brag about it. And so that's what I asked him to do. And so uh, besides golf, I love to, to hunt. I love to duck hunt, to deer hunt, and I enjoy fishing. And so for me, those are ways that I love to spend my free time uh, throughout the, the week. But if you were to ask me what my passions are, I, I would tell you my passions are God and His Word. Those are my passions. Um, see, I felt the call to ministry when I was 18 years old. Roughly a, a year after God started working on my heart and started revealing to me. And the way in which I live was not the way in which he had called me to do so. Though I got saved at age 7, uh, I just went through a lot of the normal teenage struggles. But I felt God leading me and guiding me into ministry. And uh, I told Cody in my interview process... Uh, my youth pastor asked if I would help lead a 7th and 8th grade boys small group. And I was terrible at, people, at, at telling people no. And so I said, sure. And uh, it was a scary year, right, with 7th and 8th grade boys. But, but even before that, that uh, school year started, we had a young man that was in our group. Uh, his name was Drew. And, and right before the school year started, as I grew up near the Destin, Fort Walton Beach area in Florida, um, he was in a, in a bad accident as he was swimming in the bay and got run over by a boat, and I, I remember getting a call that a student that would be in the group that I would lead, you know, was in ICU. And, and I, I remember the prayers, our, our community, our church, and everybody was praying for Drew. And then I remember as he pulls through ICU and, and as he comes to our, our small group, uh, a seventh grade boy comes in on a wheelchair. And, and I remember sitting there thinking, like, I don't know what I can teach this guy right now because he's looking for hope. He's looking for healing. He's looking for love, and so I, I just did my best, right? Sometimes we just do our best. And, and I remember throughout the course of the year watching those 7th and 8th grade boys pray for him weekly when we were in there. And encourage him and love on him. And by the end of the year, as he, you know, at the beginning came in on a wheelchair, at the end he came in on his own two feet. What I realized through that story 
was watching how God had called me into ministry and specifically student ministry as there were young men encouraging him and praying for him and walking alongside him. It showed me that faith can be attained at any age and can be lived out by no matter how young someone is. And I remember after that year, those young men, they taught me so much. But something I also learned through that is through one's testimony, it will bless everybody involved. And Drew's story blessed so many people, including mine, as I had my call of ministry, watching God heal him firsthand and him come through our, our group, it's led me to where I'm at today. But more importantly, saying yes to Jesus has led me to where I'm at today. See, it's a journey that no man could ever write when we say yes to Jesus. But it's far beyond whatever we could ask, think, or imagine. That yes to Jesus has led me to this point, serving at, at Midway Church in Villarica for the last six years. It's led me to go to Bible college uh, at the Baptist University of Florida. It, it led me to do my MDiv at Southeastern uh, in Wake Forest. See, yes to Jesus has led me to where I'm at today. As I told you earlier, my, my passions, they're God and his word. But through ministry and the yes to Jesus, I, I've learned my deepest passions in ministry is leading and discipling. See, discipling isn't merely just a mandate. It's also a choice and a responsibility for us. See, and what I mean by that is we have a choice to participate in as much discipleship as we want. See, here's where we could be this morning. There's, you know, three different type of people. There's, there's people here who don't know who Jesus is. There's people here who maybe you've shown up and you're a new believer and you're on fire for Jesus. Or, or maybe you've been in the game so long Church has become a song and dance. It's become a routine. Maybe you're just tired. Your, your hearts are troubled. Your souls are tired. See, there's a lot of things in which we could be. But discipleship is where Jesus leads us to go. See, in our spiritual lives and as well as in our physical lives, we start with concepts and principles. We learn things. But at some point, we have to choose to act and to participate in it. But most importantly... We have to take what we learn and we have to benefit from it. So we, as we approach the concepts and principles of Scripture, whenever we choose to act and to participate in them, we start to benefit from God and His Word in, in which the way He has created it to be. This morning I want to take us through a journey through Scripture that shows the ultimate need that we have, which is Jesus, and why it is so crucial to share Him with our lives and with others. See, I would be willing to bet that I'm not the only person in this room who's been impacted deeply by discipleship. I know that I'm not the only person in this room who's been impacted deeply by, by discipleship. What is discipleship? Discipleship is someone who is set on learning and development. A, a disciple is someone who knows that they have some learning to do and some developing to do, and they know in the South, that, that they ain't there yet, right? They know that. But see, what discipleship isn't, discipleship is not a Christian social group with no growth or no learning or no development. See, the moment that we become the smartest person in the room and we've got it all figured out, we gotta find a new room, right? See, disciples realize that God's not finished working on me. They know that God's got a work to do in my life, in my heart, and in my spirit, and in my mind, and that I'm going to chase after that, and I'm going to learn and develop. 
See, I believe scripture teaches us that discipleship is the embodiment of humility, of grace, love, and the desire to conform to the image of Christ. It is a desire to conform to that image. The verse I read at the opening is the verse that we'll read multiple times throughout this morning, but 2 Timothy 2.2, I think, encapsulates exactly what that is. It says this. This is Paul to Timothy. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? I would be a bad Baptist preacher if we didn't have three points this morning. And so here we go. The first one is that we have to be discipled. We have to be discipled. See, whenever we met Jesus, no matter how smart that we thought we were, we were spiritual infants. We may have thought that we had it all figured out, but whenever we came to knowing who Jesus was and his death on the cross is what set us free from our sins, we were truly spiritual infants. Unable to make sense of the spiritual things and knowing God and his word, but through the Holy Spirit and through God's people, we start to become discipled. Throughout the New Testament, we see that Paul is one who went out. If you've read through it, you've seen that he's wrote letters. He's planted churches. He's gone on missionary journeys. He's healed people. He's preached boldly. Paul is one that we look at. But before that, Paul himself needed to be discipled. Acts chapter 9, verse 27, as it comes up, it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the other disciples and declared to them how on the road that he had saw how the Lord had worked and how... Who spoke to him and how Damascus, he had preached boldly in the same name of Jesus. See, Paul witnesses that encounter on the road to Damascus and Barnabas sees it. As Barnabas sees Saul at the time, he extends his word for the work of God in Saul's life. He extended his word. He said, I- I've got value in your life, trust me, in what God is doing in this guy's life. See, as Paul began his ministry, he preached with Barnabas. They went out and they did ministry together. They went on missionary journeys together. They performed miracles together. Whenever Barnabas was discipling Paul, he took him places. He showed him how to do things. He invested in him. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36, Barnabas is known as an encourager. As growing disciples, we need to be encouraged. See, we look at Paul as a New Testament hero, a spiritual hero, a hero of the faith. Just like you and I, he needed to be encouraged. He needed to be discipled. He needed somebody to look at him and tell him that he needed to grow up in some areas. Or in some areas, he's knocking it out of the park. But as growing disciples, we need to be encouraged. The moment that I have it all figured out. I have failed to be a disciple who is set on learning and developing and growing. Whenever I think that I've got it all together, whenever I think that I've got it right, that is the moment that I have failed as a disciple. Well, what does it look like? What does it look like to be discipled? It means meeting with somebody who's smarter than you, right? We have to first realize that there are people smarter than us. But when we realize that, we meet with those people. We find someone who's further along in their marriage, somebody who's been married longer than you. Find somebody who's already raised more kids than you, more time in parenthood than you. We find somebody who's further along in their biblical understanding. So they know what the Bible says, what it teaches, and what it means. But most importantly, if we're going to be a disciple, we have to find 
somebody who walks with Jesus daily. See, there's, there's two men I think about. The first is a guy named Chad Williams, and he's in his late 30s, right? And uh, I told you earlier, I love golf. And so Chad has discipled me on the golf course for the last three and a half years of my life, right? That has been immeasurable for me. We have so many common interests between golf, the Atlanta Braves, and 90s country, right? So we, we share so much of that. He's taught me how to cut a golf ball, how to hit a fade, what, what wedge would be the, the best in different circumstances. There's a lot of things he's also taught me about golf, but also through the last three years of my life, he's asked me a lot of hard questions. And I've asked him the same hard questions too. I've asked him, how do I do this? What's the best way to manage this? I, I trust him so much that I asked him to do grace and I's marriage counseling. That's how much I trust him. I know that Chad is one who disciples me. He's prayed countless prayers for me and he spoke so much wisdom into my life. What does it look like? It's meeting with somebody who's smarter than you. I think of a guy named Barry Thompson. Barry just celebrated 50 years of ministry this month. For me, it's like that guy knows a lot more and he's forgot a lot more than I'll ever know probably too. But as, I, as I've met with Barry, as I've served with him for the last six years of my life, he's taught me two seminary classes. I've sat on his back porch a lot. He's prayed for me consistently. He's shown up for me consistently. I've just sat in his rocking chair and talked to him. I've prayed with him. He's listened to me. And I've listened to him. See, I know that as a growing disciple, I have to be encouraged. And Barry is one who encourages me. But let me ask you this. Who has done this for you? Who is somebody who has invested in you? Who is somebody who has discipled you? So think about Chad Williams. As I think about Barry Thompson. There's a common theme between these two men. So many other men and women that have spoken in my life, but it says that they've always offered godly wisdom, but they've also shown me where I could be pruned. John 15, 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Part of being disciple means that we have to be pruned. When I think about these two men, they are the embodiment of 2 Timothy 2, 2. They are ones who have heard in the presence of me, of many witnesses, they've entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. For the calling of my life, these are men in ministry who've spoken in to my life. But at see, as Barnabas did this for the convert Saul, we see the lasting impact as we read scripture. See, if God allows me to serve as your family pastor here at Iron City, know that it is within my DNA to seek out wisdom and discipleship for myself. Because as I said, discipleship is somebody who's set on learning and growing. I know that I still got a lot of learning and growing to do. I know that you probably feel the same way. Together, we can do this. Even as a pastor, I need a pastor. I will never have it all figured out. The day that I see that will be when I'm in glory one day. I'm not gonna see it here. So I know that I have to be discipled. But as I have to be discipled, the second idea is that we have to mutually disciple. Now this, this language may, may sound a little bit different, 
But as we grow in our spiritual understanding, we see that we cannot do this life alone. Some of you have probably been trying to do that and you're tired of it. You're heartbroken from it. But we were never created to do this life alone. As God created us to be in community with him, he's created us to be in community with others. The author of Hebrews says not to neglect meeting together as some do, rather, but to encourage one another. Remember, disciples need to be encouraged as we see the day drawing near. Part of being a disciple of Jesus means that we need like-minded friends. See, as as Barnabas and Paul parted ways on their journey throughout Acts, Paul and Silas continue on into their mission. See, Paul and Silas cast out a demon. As they cast out this demon, they become arrested. And while they were in jail, they began to sing hymns to God. I don't know if you've ever been a bad place in your life and you're like, I'm just going to sing hymns to God. Sometimes that's not my attitude, if I'm being honest. But, but Paul and Silas are in jail and they're singing hymns to God. And all of a sudden this earthquake comes and their chains are broken. And, and the jailer that is there, he's afraid that he will be killed because these men could escape. So he draws his sword goes to kill himself, and we pick up the story in Acts 16 and verse 29. It says this, And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once he and all his family then he brought them up to his house and he set food before them and he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God so what scripture teaches us here is that there's two friends who chose to do life together and they chose to worship through it all see what does that look like to mutually disciple with other people. Paul and Silas were doing ministry together. I can think about my friend Brian Vance. See, Brian was my first friend that I made at Midway. We were at a mutual friend's house watching football, and I realized he was an all right guy besides being a Georgia Bulldog. I thought, me and this guy could be friends. He's a baseball coach down at at Bowden High School, but we spent the, the next five years after meeting each other every week on Wednesday mornings at 6.15, at booth 19, to be specific, at Waffle House. I, I can't tell you how many different books we've read together, how many scriptures, how many prayers that we've prayed, the amount of hours logged sitting in that booth, sharing life together. See, as I, I left the church in college, and when I got you know, to Georgia, I left a D group that I was really connected with, and I knew as I started full-time ministry that I was going to need that. So I knew I needed to be discipled. I knew that I needed somebody that I could trust to walk alongside me throughout my life. And there was Brian. We walked through so much life together. He was a groomsman in my wedding. We shared so many highs. We've also shared a lot of lows together. And what I learned through that was that we both needed each other. I want you to think, who has done this for me? Who is somebody who shared the best moments with me? Who's somebody who shared the worst moments with me? 
Who's somebody who's, who's cried with me? Who's somebody who's celebrated with me? See, if called to serve as your family pastor, you can expect me to love you. You can expect for me to care for you. You can expect for me to walk through life with you. See, I want to be your friend. I, I want to come here and serve with you, not only in the best moments, but also in the worst. I believe that we could teach each other things in areas that we both need to grow in in our life. Neither of us have it figured out. As I can think about Brian, it is only the reminder of 2 Timothy 2.2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's people who spoke into Brian and he saw the value of us walking through life together. My goal for us together would be for us to reach the families of the Chiha Valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To where they can see that there is hope nowhere else in a hopeless world that hope can only be found in one man whose name is Jesus. I'd want to do that with you, to go together, to mutually disciple each other. Lastly, in progression of discipleship, we have to disciple others. We have to disciple others. As we move from spiritual infants in our growth, when we meet Jesus, we learn from Scripture that we are to take what we have learned from others and pass it on to other people. I can think about Matthew chapter 28, probably a verse you've heard a lot through your life, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love Jesus' promises that he's with us, that he is with us. Jesus believed this so much that these were his last words to his disciples. There's so many things that he could have told them at the very end, but the mission was simple. The mission is the same. It's to go and make disciples. See, a disciple is one who invests their life into others. A disciple is one who invests their life into others. I can think about Paul, if we can look back at his life, with Timothy. He, he wrote Timothy, the main verse of which we are reading today, 2 Timothy 2.2. He wrote him that. In Acts 16 and verse 2, it tells us that Paul chose Timothy to go with him throughout missionary journeys to preach, to heal. He chose Timothy. He looked at him and says, you're coming with me. He says, you are my guy. You're coming with me. 2 Timothy 2, 2, as he writes this, obviously he sees value in Timothy. And he looks at him and he says, and what you've heard from me, the one who's discipled you, the one who's invested in you, the one who loves you, the one who cares for you. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The lesson that Paul is teaching Timothy is that discipleship is reproducible. He's saying, look, the things that you have heard from me, these are the things that you should be able to do for other people. 
I've done my best to model to you what a Christian life is like and how you can learn and grow and develop. I've tried to imitate Christ and for you to imitate me as I've walked in this life. I've tried to show you what you should do. He says, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many people, go tell other people about them. Jesus' words in Matthew 28 were to go. You see, for us, that discipleship is reproducible. But let me tell you this, discipleship is also messy. It's not perfect. It will not be clean. Whenever you disciple somebody, you are stepping into the weeds of their life. Sometimes you are asked to step into the weeds of their life. Sometimes you just make the step yourself. See, discipleship is messy. But discipleship also means that somebody trusts you to speak into their life, to speak into their situation, know that you are trying to lead and guide them into a growing relationship with Jesus and that they want the best for you. For you, maybe this is meeting for coffee, maybe you're a D group leader and you're discipling people, maybe you're a connection group leader and you're discipling people. But above all, when it comes to discipling, just show up, be there. Invest. Discipleship's invest. Discipleship is reproducible. But for me, I can think about a guy named Andrew. So Andrew came to my youth group in 2019. This time in March, he sent me a message and, and said, hey man, I need to talk. And, and I remember as we met for coffee early one Wednesday morning, he started to tell me of all the things going on in his life. And at the end of it, he says, I've read through one book of the Bible. Since March, we started in John, and this week we're in Revelation together. See, discipleship involves us showing up. We've walked through so many different things in his life. We've prayed through so many things in his life. We've talked through so many things in his life. And it's been good. It's been messy, but it's been good. But let me ask you this. Who looks to you? Who looks to you as the example? Who looks to you as like, I want to be like him or I want to be like her? See, I, I don't tell you the story about Andrew to brag on myself, but I would be a hypocrite if I challenged you to do something that I'm not doing myself. If I got up here and told you to do something that I wasn't willing to do it, I would be a hypocrite. And I'd be willing to bet some of you in this room the idea of discipling somebody sounds great, but you probably don't feel qualified. Like, I, I don't know. If they ask me about Revelation, I, I don't know what to say, right? If they ask me about the dinosaurs, I got nothing. It's a head scratcher, right? We can, we can make a list of excuses, and I don't have to tell you what they are. You've probably done it at some point just like I have. Or maybe you think because of my past that I can't invest my life into something. See, never underestimate the power of your own story. God is the author of it. We've walked through different things in life. You've probably walked through hardships, loss, grief, abandonment, hurt. We think, this will only hold me back. This morning I want to remind you to never underestimate the power of your own story. God is the author of it. People share oftentimes in the struggles, in the hurt, in the pain. You're not the only one. 
God wants to use your story and your life to help reach other people. See, earlier I told you, in our spiritual and in our physical lives, we start with concepts and principles. But at some point, we have to choose to act and to participate into those things. And we have to take what we learn to grow and to benefit. And when it comes to discipleship, it's a biblical mandate. But we have to choose to give Jesus our yes for it. We have to choose to give Jesus our yes for it. The yes to Jesus looks like being discipled. The yes to Jesus looks like walking alongside others and mutually discipling. The yes to Jesus looks like discipling others. In your, in your guide, as you got it, when you walked in, there's three questions I want you to ask yourself. The first is, who's invested in me? Who am I walking alongside? And who am I investing in? I want you to take that home if you don't have a pen to write on it now. And to write these things down. Think about these things and answer them truthfully. See, I believe writing these things down will encourage us. I think it will encourage us. But it may also convict us for being honest with ourselves. I don't do that to make you feel bad. But I want to show you that choosing to participate in discipleship and giving your yes to Jesus with your life is worth it. When you give your yes to Jesus with your life and the way in which you live and the way in which you grow and the way in which you develop and the way in which you benefit, it's worth it. When we play our cards on the table, we say, God, you know me, you know my heart, but Jesus of all my shortcomings, I'm going to give you my life to follow that. It is worth it. But as I tell you it's worth it, I'm not going to tell you it's easy. Because it's hard. It's messy. It requires killing our pride. It requires obedience. It requires our lives. As you consider me your candidate to be your family pastor, I want you to know that I believe in God's people walking in his word, walking in his ways, and walking in his desires. If you're here this morning, you hear this message, and you're wondering about discipleship. What I would love to do is I would love to tell you about the man worth following, the man worth investing your life in, the man that ask us to take up our cross daily and to carry it. See, Jesus is fully God. He stepped out of heaven. As he saw the state of the world and sin, he knew that we cannot save ourselves, that we needed a savior. Yet, in our sin, Christ still chose to love us. So he stepped down out of heaven. He lived a perfect sinless life for 33 years. And he taught us everything that we know about this word. The Old Testament are the words of his, of him to come. The gospels are him in the flesh. The letters of him thinking about all that he's done for us and telling the good news of what he's done for us. This book is about him. When we choose to invest our lives in it, when we grow in that, we see that this book is not just an old book full of stories and tells. Rather, it's a book of life. 
that leads us far beyond whatever we could ask, think, or imagine. As he lived a perfect, sinless life and as he died on the cross, three days later he rose again because he is who he said he was. He is the son of God, the son of man, the perfect, sinless lamb. The good shepherd who is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The one who lays down his life for his sheep. That is the one that I want you to know. As we close in prayer, if you have questions about who that is, there will be elders down front that you can talk to about that. Let's pray together. Jesus. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.